Nox Game Design. July 2020. Color. Welcome everyone to Knoxville Game Design for July 2020. My name is Levi Smith and I'm in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a monthly review of game development topics. Uh, start out with a little bit of news. Uh, Dylan informed me that he wouldn't be participating in the Knox game design uh, anymore. So we appreciate him and everything that he's contributed to uh, this uh, this the meetings and also appreciate everyone who has contributed in the past Mike Neal and Joe Miller that are always welcome to join again uh, so going forward it looks like it's just going to be me uh, doing this and maybe we may have Jacob pop in every now and then uh, if he still wishes to participate uh, still planning on doing the game jams twice a year Liedem Dari and things like that and hopefully once things get back to normal we'll be able to meet in person for game jams and things like that uh so this month i uh, had a little bit of news uh, oh one, one other thing we'll be changing the date and time of the meetings uh, i always felt like sunday is the lord's day i never did like having the meetings on sundays just that's when the meetings were held for so many years. So going to change it up a bit. I don't know what day we'll be having the meetings. I may just jump on like a Friday or Thursday or sometime. Right now it's Thursday night that I'm recording this. So yeah, thinking probably Fridays or some Friday afternoons. That's a good day for me. I don't know if we'll be doing the second Friday or whatever. Uh, right now there hasn't been a lot of interest in the uh, monthly meetings. Uh, it was pretty much me and Dylan for the most part. So until interest picks back up, uh, we'll probably just play it by ear and then figure out a good day for everyone to do after that. So a little bit of news. I noticed in the Discord, I uh, still haven't figured out Discord video chat, but I did notice in the general channel here, I did find out that I can switch between channels and not kick everyone off, but my my thick posted that Unity 2020.1 is released. Finally, we're halfway through the year and we finally got to .1 of 2020. Uh, so I haven't looked at this yet, so I don't know what new features are in Unity 2020.21, but it's probably something everybody, all Unity developers will probably want to check out. Looks like there's been a lot of activity in the general chat on the Knox Game Design Discord. I haven't been able, had the chance to read through all this yet. Uh, but yeah, I'm glad to see people are uh, uh, having a lot of discussion, showing off their games, and doing game dev talk and things like that. Yeah, everyone you can find us, just type in Knox Game Design on Discord. And that's the best way to communicate with all of us. Um, that's where I'll plan on having the uh, game design uh, or monthly discussions going forward uh, for the meetings. Okay, yeah, I'll jump into the main uh, presentation for this month. It's going to be, I guess that's the one thing I wanted to say is that I'll probably make these meetings and these podcasts a lot shorter, just get straight to the point, get to all the good stuff that everybody wants to hear. Oh, and I'll try to keep doing this monthly, but may may end up doing this. Uh, let's see, may may end up doing this maybe uh, every other month or 
I don't know, three or four times a year. I don't know, D- depending on how how much I feel like I want to continue doing this, and how much interest there is still with doing the the game design podcast. So anyway, uh, this month's topic is color. Uh, just an overview of color in in in, in computing. So let's see if I can make this bigger here. Okay, so this month's topic is color. I'm going to go ahead and make that bigger right there. So the traditional color wheel that we all learned in elementary school, hopefully this is still taught in school. I don't know if it is or not. Uh, but, yeah, we learned that the three primary colors are red, blue, and yellow. And if you combine any of those two colors together, you get a secondary color. So if you combine red and blue together, you get purple. Combine red and yellow... No, red and blue makes purple, red and yellow makes orange, and blue and yellow makes green. I always remember the old Ziploc, Gladlock, Zipper commercials. Uh, Yellow and blue makes green. I don't know if they even still have that anymore. But the computer is a little bit different. On the computer color wheel, we have R, G, and B. Everything's based on red, green, and blue. So red and blue make a secondary color called magenta. Some people call it hot pink. Uh, red and green make yellow, and blue and green make cyan, which is kind of like a light blue, uh, sky blue. Uh, some systems use the CMY, they use those secondary colors, uh, typically with uh, uh, color printers, they use CMY, uh, so that's uh, magenta, yellow, and cyan, and sometimes I add in a third component called K, which is black. I need to turn this down just a little bit right there. Okay. Um, so the color spectrum, I want to talk a little bit about the, the color spectrum. Uh, color is, when you see color, you're actually observing electromagnetic waves. Um, and I always felt like this should be taught like in kindergarten. It's like every everybody should know where, I guess in kindergarten they teach you the colors, but they don't tell you what the science behind color. So... Uh, there's different types of waves out there. Uh, sound waves, those require matter, such as air, to transmit. So whenever you watch a, a movie, such as uh, Space Odyssey 2001, you see them out in space and there's no sound. The reason there's no sound is because there's no matter in space for those sound waves tra- to transmit. On the other hand, there's electromagnetic waves. And electromagnetic waves includes many different types of waves, gamma rays, X, uh, X-rays, uh, UV rays. Then you have just a small portion of that is visible light. And then you have your infrared waves, uh, microwaves, then radio waves like your FM and AM radio channels like in your car. <coughs> And also, light can act as both a wave and a particle. Uh, a light wave or a light particle is called a photon. I won't get into all the details behind that, but uh, just know that there is like a wave-particle duality in, in everything. Um, so that visible spectrum that I was talking about, one mnemonic that a lot of people use is called Roy G. Biv. Uh, so Roy is red, orange, yellow, G is for green, then Biv is blue, indigo, violet. Uh, indigo is kind of like somewhere in between blue and, and violet or purple. 
Um, so if you remember Roy G. Biv, that's the longest uh, wavelength to the shortest wavelength. So red has a really long wavelength and violet has a very short wavelength. Um, and that's also the lowest to highest frequency because frequency is the speed of light over wavelength. So if you ever need to uh, translate or transition or convert uh, frequency to wavelength, you just put the speed of light over that, which is 3 times 10 to the 8th meter of a second. And if you, like I've always said before, if you do, if you keep your uh, uh, units uh, consistent, then it, it all works out. So you can use that speed of light to, speed of light is kind of like the universal uh, speed limit. So it's very useful in tra translating between wavelength and frequency. So to display uh, color on the on a screen, now the old school TV screens like the CRTs, that, that stands for cathode ray tube, you have an electron gun that basically shoots electrons at a uh, at your screen that makes the pixels illuminate. I forget, I think it's some type of phosphor or phosphorus or something that's on the TV screen that makes each pixel light up. But you can see here on the screen, I took a really close picture of my CRT screen, and you can actually see the individual red, green, and blue components of every pixel. Yeah, I had to turn it up to like 10 times magnification and uh, then take a really close picture. Or one thing that you can do, if you do have like an old CRT screen, you can take like a drop of water and put on it and then look really closely. You don't want to do it for a really long time, but uh, if you put a drop of water, it'll magnify those pixels. And then you can, if you get close enough, you can see the individual red, green, and blue components of that. Um, so here's another example you, where you can see like all the green pixels like uh, in the grass or bush background here. You can see it's only the green uh, pixels illuminated. So it kind of looks like uh, bands. But when you pull far, far away enough, then it just looks green to the eye. On newer screens, such as uh, monitors, they use LEDs, light-emitting diodes. And I think those, uh, I don't think those are broken into red, green, and blue. Those just display whatever color. And I'm not sure of all the details behind that. That may be a talk for another time. Uh, but going back, I have a chart here on the previous color spectrum. I uh, just wanted to mention that the infrared wavelengths are over 740, I think that's, uh, yeah, in nanometers. So anything above 740 nanometers, people typically can't see. Then ultraviolet is 380 nanometers and below. So anything below 380 nanometers, uh, typically you can't see with the human eye. So it's within seven, 380 to 700 nanometers. That's the wavelength of visible light. And it follows that Roy G. Biv. And you can see all the individual, like green is 500 to 565 uh, in nanometers. Cyan is 485 to 500. So based on those wavelengths, that's what color comes out. So on your, uh, if you're doing game programming, typically 
you represent colors, custom colors. I know in a lot of languages they have color constants already defined for you, but if you want to make your own color, you got to represent it in RGB format typically. There are a couple other formats that I'll talk about in a little bit. But uh, so, for instance, if you're doing something in C Sharp and you want to make a new color, if you're doing it in Unity, uh, you create a new color and you first specify the red value, the green value, and then the blue value. So if you want red, if you do it in float notations, typically you can specify these in multiple formats, uh, typically either floats or in decibels. So floats would be from 0.0 to 1.0, or if you're doing it in as integers, you can do it from 0 to 255. So red is 100, all red, no green, no blue. Orange is 1.50, which means all red, half green, and zero blue. Yellow is all red and all green. Green is simply no red, all green, and no blue. Cyan is, which is kind of sky blue, is no red, zero red, all green and all blue. Blue, as you would expect, is no red, no green, and all blue. Magenta is all red, no green, and all blue. And purple is half red, no green, and half blue. And black is simply no red, no green, no blue. 0, .0, 0.0, 0.0, 0.0. And white is all red, all green, and all blue. One, one, one. So in decimal representation, uh, a 1 in float would be 255, uh, and 0.5 would be 128. And I have some conversions over here that you can look at. So in hexadecimal, 0xf uh, equals 15. That's all in binaries. That'd be 1111. Uh, an 8, which is half of a byte. Uh, is uh, 1000, which equals 8 in decimal, and 0x0 is 0000, which equals 0. So if you're doing like old school HTML, you had to represent your colors in these triplets, which typically uh, was like FF, which equals 255 in hexadecimal. So you just put like for red FF 0000. Or let's say for purple, half of 255 is 128, which is 80. So for purple, you'd have 800080. Or for white, you'd have FF, FF, FF. And I have the computations for these listed out. So for, for an FF in hexadecimal, that's all ones, 1111111. And if you take two. Uh, to each power, like 2 to the 7th, plus 2 to the 6th, plus 2 to the 5th, plus 2 to the 4th, plus 2 to the 3rd, plus 2 to the 2nd, plus 2 to the 1st, plus 2 to the 0, which is 128, plus 64, plus 32, plus 16, plus 8, plus 4, plus 2, plus 1. That equals 255. So that would be uh, the bit or the byte turned all the way on. Similarly, for half, You'd have 0x80, which is 80 in hexadecimal, which equals 1000000, which is basically equals 2 to the 7th 
plus zero, 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 equals 128, which is basically half of 255 or 256. So another representation of color is called hue, saturation, and value. And a lot of times I like working with HSV over RGB because uh, hue is a value from 0 to 360. And it kind of goes along the color spectrum from red, uh, the RGB that I, or the RGB that I talked about a little bit earlier. It goes gradually from red to orange, to yellow, to green, to blue, to violet. So with by modifying that hue value, you can, you can kind of get the whole uh, like rainbow spectrum. So if you kind of want to ease in from red to green or whatever, you can just change that hue value. There's actually computations out there. I don't have them listed here to convert from uh, RGB to HSV. Um, I don't have it listed here, but a lot of game program libraries do have an option to specify color as HSV. Uh, saturation, uh, I call this like the fadedness, fadedness or tint of a color. So you can make a color go from vibrant, uh, like vibrant red to a faded out red by changing the saturation. And then value, I consider this kind of like the darkness of the color. So you can make your color dark, darker or lighter by changing the value. Um, yeah, so I mentioned that. Most fire. Uh, yeah, and you can mathematically. If anybody's interested in getting the mathematic notation for converting between HSV and RGB, uh, I can I can provide that. Uh, programs like GIMP, which is a Photoshop, free Photoshop alternative, you can specify either in RGB or HSV. So GIMP has a few, a lot of nice features. Uh, one is called Colorized. You can change the hue, saturation, and lightness values. Uh, if you want a picture with a consistent color tone, like here's a few examples showing the same picture of my television screen in this reddish color, this reddish hue, or a cyan hue, or with zero saturation, it's just it turns it into black and white. You can also change the lightness, so you can take that picture and you can make it darker or lighter using the colorize option. There's also a posterize option in GIMP, and you can actually reduce the number of colors. So if you want it kind of in a grainy or like an old CD-ROM video, you can use this posterize option. So you can change the number of uh, levels or number of colors uh, in that image. And also there's a color balance option, which is pretty cool that you can play around with. You can change the shadows, midtones, and highlights. So you can take that same image and you can kind of give it a different look and feel. So like this image right here, you can make it like this purplish, bluish tint, or you can make it a reddish hot tint right there. By So for the red reddish one, you can change the red midtones and have, it, have yellow highlights and cyan shadows. The second one here, I have just blue midtones, and then this first one here, I have red shadows and blue highlights. Uh, there's a lot of other tools. I really like GIMP. Uh, you can use the invert option to give it kind of like an old photo negative uh, appearance, so it just kind of flips. I'm not sure the mathematics behind all that. 
Uh, one cool option is this hue chroma, so you can make it have all these wild colors and things like that. There's a desaturate option, which you can make it look gray, kind of like a an old newspaper uh, look and feel. There's an alien map, which kind of makes it kind of look like a predator type uh, heat map type uh, effect. Uh, one nice option is the brightness and contrast, so you can really darken up the dark colors. You can lighten up the lighter colors to give it a lot more contrast so it doesn't look faded or anything. Uh, there's a saturation option, so you can go in there and turn up the saturation so, so it makes the dull color stand out a little bit more. And then there's the color level, so you can have fine grain controls over the color channels using a histogram. There's a lot of cool options you can use with GIMP. You can change, uh, apply different layers. So if you want like a reddish tint on top of your image, you can pull in your image. Then you can add like a totally red layer on top of it and just put that at 50%. And then it will let 50% of your image below come through that red color. Uh, or if you just want a little little bit of a red tint, you can put it on mode normal and also do 25%. But there's tons of options, and I'm I'm not familiar. I mean, I don't know all the details, but there's things like lighten only, dodge, addition, screen, difference, lumin luminous, hard light, overlay, and merge. So you can get really uh, detailed on how you want to combine different layers in GIMP. A few other color schemes out there, one that I played around with a long time ago, and I was going to do a demo of this, but uh, maybe that'll be good for another time. But uh, the VT100 color codes, I used to play BB, BBS games a long time ago, and they would use these color codes uh, that range from, let's see, your 30 to 37 and 40 to 47 to change the foreground and background colors uh of the screen and it's really cool you can just like uh if you just write a simple server uh using your favorite programming language like ruby i like ruby or java or whatever it is uh you can open up a putty connection using telnet and you can write these color codes directly to uh the client and see see all that in action there's also different uh options for each color code so you can put like a one at the end of it and you can turn those colors bright or dim or you can make them i remember on old bbs games you can make the the, the text blink or colors blink which is really cool uh q basic which we talked about in a previous uh game design group meeting uh it had its it had its own uh, color scheme. So it used zero for black, one for blue, two for green, three for cyan, four for red, five for magenta, six for yellow and brown, and seven for gray and white. And the way they had that set up was it also used RGB, uh, but it started out, and I guess it just counts up from zero to eight sequentially. And uh, yeah, and that's how it came up with those different numbers. Like 000 is black, 001 is blue, 010 is green. So it just converts those binary values to a number value. You know, I'm always amazed by the old school color palettes. So for like the old NES games, it had 56 available colors, which is basically 2 to the 6, which is 64. But some of the blacks were repeated. 
and only a subset of those colors could be displayed at once. The Game Boy, it only had four colors, four different shades of green, two to the second. The Super Nintendo had 32,768 color, is 15-bit, two to the 15. And 16-bit color is 65,536, which we've talked about in the old uh, math for game dev, 16, 2 to the 16th. And what they call true color is 24-bit, which is 16 million colors. And, yeah, once we get up to 16-bit color, I really can't notice a difference. One thing that I've always liked is the old-school video mode. So we started out... Uh, with CGA, which is the color graphics adapter, and you could get a uh, different number of color. Well, actually, there's only four colors. I have a couple of pictures of Commander King that I pulled up, and the old CGA, you got like cyan, magenta, and black, <laughs> and, and that was basically it. And the uh, screen resolution was 320 by 200, so you didn't get very many colors at all. So the next video mode that was introduced is called EGA, which is Enhanced Graphics Adapter. And in that, you could get uh, a video mode of 640 by 350 with 16 different colors, kind of like the one over here, so you can start seeing different colors of green and, and blue and things like that. Uh, the one that I mostly used back in the 90 was VGA, and you could get 16 different colors with a 640 by 480 resolution. Then after that, I remember with the 46s, they started having Super VGA graphics mode, and you could get an 800 by 600 resolution or 1024 by 768. And a lot of it depended on, from what I've read, is if you have more colors, then you'll have a lower resolution, or if you have a higher resolution, then you'll have lower number of colors. And it was all based on the number of pins uh, in your uh, serial cable i think it's a serial cable yeah back then we had serial cables and parallel port cables and typically the parallel port cables were for printers and the serial cables were for monitors and things like that so then along in i don't know the early 2000s we started getting into the hd resolutions the 720p uh, that allowed a 1280 by 720 resolution i remember when i was developing Xbox Live Indie Games, typically I'd, I'd develop for 1280 by 720 then i just let the screen resize uh, if it's a higher or lower resolution than that. And then there's also 1080p, which is 1920 by 1080 And typically most games that I make today, uh, uh, I do 1920 by 1080 by default, um, unless I'm doing something really simple. And then in more recent years, they've introduced 4K, which is a 3840 by 2160 resolution. Uh, yeah, so here's a good site for color palettes. I'll bring it up really quickly here. Paste that in. There was a site that I used a long time ago where it had a lot of different color schemes, but this is something to play with. Adobe Color, you can go to color.adobe.com, create color wheel, and you can kind of make different color schemes. I think there's a way to view existing color schemes, but I'm not exactly sure. You can drag and drop different themes or extract a gradient. Oh, maybe it's under Explore here. Yeah, so this is it. So 
there's like a lot of different pictures and I think you can click on this and it'll show you the color scheme. So if you're making a game and you just want some base colors, maybe for a UI or something like that, you can go to explore on here and it's like, oh, I want a yellowish red color scheme. You can click on that and I'll give you an example of a color scheme to start with. And it has all those hexadecimal codes I was talking about earlier, the RGB components listed right here. So if you're looking for a starting point, I really recommend the Adobe Color site. And here's a good site. W3schools.com always has a lot of good stuff and they have like a color picker. You can go here and paste that in right there. And if you want to you know, like pick a color right there and it'll give you the hexadecimal color codes on the right side over here and then you can like either make it lighter or darker or change the hue from red to blue green to blue uh, to violet and change the and it gives you all of the formats that the RGB I think HSL is similar to HSV I think I think the L and the V the value and, and luminance I think those can be entered I could be wrong about that but I think they're very similar but yeah, I definitely recommend the W3 Schools colors, the color picker on that side. Yeah, so that, I'm going to wrap it up. Oh, I have one thing I want to see if I can make myself bigger. One thing that I wanted to show off is the game that I had been working on a little bit. This is a Tangram game that I developed. So basically, you just take these pieces, and you can move them around, and uh, I've already forgotten how to solve them. And you drop them into place, so you can put like a square there, and I already forgot, oh, yeah, this one goes here. So you try to solve as many of these puzzles as you can in five minutes, and I want to eventually put this out. Uh, you rotate it with the by right-clicking. Uh, I want to have like a leaderboard, so you can see who's created the most number of puzzles in five minutes but i haven't added that yet but every time you create a put you finish a puzzle then it adds one to your score so yeah just try to see how many of these that you can put together in in five minutes i remember doing tangrams when i was in elementary school so i think this would be a, maybe a cool tool for kids wanting to do tangrams that don't actually have the, the actual tangram blocks or anything so yeah, hopefully I'll put this out soon. I do want to add like the leaderboards and things like that so people can compete. But I think I currently have like 40 different puzzles in here that you can uh, complete. And it's random every time you get a new set of uh, puzzles. So uh, eventually they'll probably repeat, but you don't get the same set every time. So... Yeah, you just drop in the blocks and kind of like a little logic puzzle here. So yeah, just see how many you can do in five minutes. Okay, so that's going to wrap it up for July 2020. Appreciate everyone out there watching. Check out boxgamedesign.org. Uh, for more information, like I said, we may be going to once every other month or whenever I get around to it. Uh, but I'll be sure to let everyone know what's going on on the website and the Discord. So until next time, thanks everyone for listening and watching.